The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. Today we are privileged again to both hear and read the Word of God. Isn't it amazing that Almighty God has chosen to reveal Himself to us and let us know about Him? He's done it in many ways through creation, through His sovereign control of circumstances, through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But the most reproducible way seems to be the written Word of God that we have before us today. We call it the Bible. This morning's reading is from the Gospel of Luke. If you have the chair Bible, it's on page 880. 880 in the Pew Bible, Luke, the 21st chapter, verses 1 through 23. And we're particularly privileged today in that most of this reading is the words of Jesus, who is also referred to in the Bible as the Word of God. So we have the Word of God speaking the words of God in the Word of God. It's kind of a quadruple blessing this morning. Luke, the 21st chapter verse 1, page 880 in your pew Bible. If you need a Bible, take one of these chair Bibles with you. We want the Word of God to be out there and transforming the words of our daily lives into Word of Life. Luke 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up and saw the rich put in their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contribute out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another. They will not be thrown down. And they ask him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must take place, but in the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great, great earthquakes <clears throat> and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay down their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. There will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it before in your minds not to meditate before on hand on how you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. 
and let those who are beside, inside the city depart, and let those who are out in the country not enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the seas and the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is the eternal, imperishable word of the Lord. Amen. Uh, it's good to be with you. Good to see you. I got one announcement I want to get to before we look at the text. Um, we're going to be going through the book of Philippians this fall, and maybe there's about three or four of you that remember that I preached that, like the first book of the Bible here, 15 years ago. And so you're thinking, well, are you allowed to do that? Are you allowed to preach through a book twice? And I'm going to go ahead and say yes this time because, number one, it was my first sermon series ever, which means all my sermons probably were terrible. <laughs> number two, it happened 15 years ago, which means none of you remember anyway. <laughs> uh, and so I'm really excited about the book. I think the theme of that book is tenacious joy in Christ. And I just need more joy in Christ in my life. And I think a lot of us do. We trust in him, but the joy just emanating out of that book, I want it to be something that really grabs us. So I'm excited to look at that. And then, so, so one thing I also want to add then, too, is think about getting in a, in a small group, in a growth group somehow. If you're in a small group, maybe, maybe turn it this direction. Um, we got sign-ups after the service, but to really get the themes of this book to sink in, uh, we're going to have to do more than just hear it uh, once a week. And so I'd love for you to be able to chew on that with other believers, uh, think on it, pray on it digest the truth of that book. So that's my announcement. Let's pray, and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, as Phil said. You are speaking, and we thank you that uh, not only, Jesus, did you speak way back then, by the power of your Spirit, as we look at your Word, you are speaking to each of us right now. Same God, same Word. Help me to be faithful, Lord, in communicating that Word, and help us to be hungry to listen. We pray, Lord, that your word would feed us, satisfy us, challenge us, that we would not leave the same. So, so please help us now. We need it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, some of you may know, Marsha and I were gone the last two weeks. We had a fabulous time on vacation in the mountains. Uh, but we are happy to be back with you. One thing I loved about going to the mountains is getting off the grid. You know, you know what that feels like? Get off the grid. So there's no internet, and there's no cell phones, and there are no messages, and there are no news articles. 
and there are no controversies. There's the mountains. And my wonderful wife, and that was it. <laughs> okay. But that can't last forever. It's not our calling. Glad to come home. You come home. You plug in. You check in. You see what's going on. And I was again reminded that we are in tumultuous times. Just the briefest engagement with news and email. And I got two shootings, a stabbing, fears about the economy, nations in turmoil, famous Christian leaders claiming they no longer believe and studies coming out describing how Christian persecution is reaching nearly genocidal levels in parts of the world. And that was like 10 minutes. We live in tumultuous times. Does it feel like tumultuous times to you? Does it feel that way? Scary, haphazard? How are we supposed to respond to this shocking reality, this wave of cold water that we live in tumultuous times? You know, one temptation is to say, I'm going back to the mountains. <laughs> Peace out, run away, right? Well, number one, my budget can't handle that. <laughs> and number two, it's not our calling as God's, God's people to hide in the mountains when times are hard. Now, the other temptation is to be full of panic and anxiety. How many of you uh, tend to run to that one? Okay, A lot of you don't have your hands up, but I know better. <laughs> That's the belief that God has gone away to the mountains. <laughs> And he's not coming back. You're on your own. That's not true. It's not true. How are we supposed to respond at tumultuous times? Let's listen to Jesus. Let's listen to Jesus, the, the trustworthy voice right here. The trustworthy voice. He's the voice of reality. He's not pulling any punches. He's not looking through rose-colored glasses. He's not telling you. He's not doing his Joel Osteen, you know, times will be great, name it, claim it. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. He's the voice of sovereignty. He's in control. You can trust him, and he's the voice of wisdom. He knows how we can and should respond in tumultuous times. So, as you know, we're continuing through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, what we've seen before is really important to where we are now, so I want to walk through that a little with you. We've seen Jesus enter into Jerusalem as God's promised king, right? He comes as the Messiah. He's asserted his authority by cleansing the temple, kicking over tables, stopping what had been occurring. His authority is challenged by the religious leaders, but he's always vindicated. They can't answer him. And now in this text, there's this pause as Jesus and his disciples seem to take in the environment. You'll notice what the disciples said. Look at verse 5. You follow along? Chapter 21, verse 5. Some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. And, and literally, friends, if we were there and we could see the Herodian temple, we would speak of the same things. It was overwhelming. It was beautiful. It was a, it was a wonder of the ancient world. This temple was continually worked on and built and beautified like for decades after decades. Uh, and it did have incredible stonework, Wikipedia told me. Some weighed over 100 tons, one measured... 45 feet by 11 feet by 16 feet. This is, so just this incredible work of quarry work to build this structure. On the outside, it's covered in gold, and when the sun sets or the sun rises, it's just, it was beautiful. And so you'd get there to worship the Lord, and you'd be like, wow. You would look at the stones. You would. We all would. Hard not to notice the stones. Jesus notices something else. Look at 21, verse 1. Jesus looked up. 
and saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper stones, copper, sorry, stones, coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance. She, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Have you heard this story before? I have. I've heard it sometimes used as devotional on tithing. And I think I may be guilty of doing that. So if you heard that, I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't think that's what this is about. How much did she put in? All she had to live on. Do you want to be part of a religious system that tells the poor they have to give you everything? Doesn't it sound like a TV preacher talking to the person sitting in the wheelchair at home? If you would just give the seed money to us in your poverty, God would richly bless you. I don't think Jesus likes things like that. We'll remember the text you heard from last week. Remember Luke 20, 45. Jesus just said this before he saw the widow. Luke 20, 45. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour, what? Widows' houses. And for a pretense, make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. Beware of people who say to widows, give us all you have. They will be condemned. The disciples see the stones. Jesus sees the widow. Which gives him something to say about the stones. Look back at Luke 19.43. We've already seen this. This is when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem, right? Luke 19, 43, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave, what, one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. See, Jesus has come to his city as the Messiah And despite every evidence, the city, the leaders of the city, the religious leaders, have rejected him. So the religious leaders of the temple, where God is to be seen and worshipped and fellowshiped with, they don't want God in their temple. They want to be in control. This is the great evil, and it's going to bring judgment. It always does. When we don't want God, it always brings judgment. And that will be seen in the stones pulled apart. So when the disciples warmly mention the temple stones, Jesus throws cold water. Luke 21, verse 5. While, they, while some were speaking of the temple and how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come where there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. He says the same thing, right? What's going to happen to these great stones? Pulled apart, torn down. I think it's hard for us to understand how shocking this would have sounded to a first century Jew. What does the temple represent to them? It's just everything. It's all God's promises right here in the temple. It's our identity as a people right here in the temple. It's the priests. It's the sacrifices right here in the temple. It's the law and the prophets right here in the temple. This is, remember we went to exile already and we came back and the temple's rebuilt. This is what we have. And Jesus says, it's coming down. It's going to end. What? You almost couldn't swallow it, couldn't accept it. 
So, of course, they have questions. Look at verse 7. Look at their question. This is really important to the passage. And they asked him, Teacher, we would all want to know, right? Your temple's coming down. Teacher, when will these things be? What will be the sign that these things are about to take place? They want to know when. And the rest of this chapter is Jesus' long, rich answer to the question. Uh, it's fascinating just to consider what Jesus says first. What does Jesus say first to their question on when, this is, when will this happen? You know, in today's world, if you went to Barnes & Noble, right, there'd be books and charts about nations and times and numbers. And you almost think Jesus will pull out a chart and be like, well, July 7th at 7 a.m. See what I did there? Seven, seven, seven. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, right? Because what have, what have Christian theorists been doing with stuff like this from the beginning? We found the secret pattern. We found the numerological equation. We found the representations of the nations, and now we know when. And Jesus doesn't first pull out a diagram and say, when? Look what he says in verse 8. See that you are not, what? Led astray. Jesus does not emphasize specific dates in the tumultuous times. He emphasizes how his people should respond to the tumultuous times. Do we emphasize kind of this conspiracy theory of the dates, or do we emphasize our hearts towards him? It's interesting, isn't it? So you may know, if you've looked at this chapter before, there's a lot of intramural debate among Christians out of how to, how to handle this. And um, I'm the expert. No, I'm kidding. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not the expert. But there's questions, especially about verse 32. Obviously, I'm going to do my best to, to give you what I think is the best explanation. I am going to hang out in here after the service. So if you've got an itch and you have questions, I'll tell you I don't know the answer. Um, but maybe we, can, we can talk about it. I'd love to do that with you. Um, but here's what I do know. Jesus is emphasizing how his people should respond to the tumultuous times that surround his coming. That's what he's talking about. How should we respond to these tumultuous times? So I have six points for you. How are you all doing after that revelation? Six points for you. Listen, I've been preaching two weeks, okay? So I just have. <laughs> but plus, look at this text. Look what Jesus gave his disciples, right? It was thick. It was rich. It kept going. So let's, let's tackle it. Let's take it head on. Here's my six, six ideas for you, points today. Number one, what's the meaning of the tumultuous times? We've got to do a little background work for this to make sense in context. What's the meaning of the tumultuous times? And then five ways Jesus tells his people to respond. They're all right here. What's the meaning? How should we respond? So here we go. Number one, what's the meaning of the tumultuous times? One confusing thing about Jesus for his audience was the nature of his coming. Would you agree? I think this is the main reason. It seemed that Israel at the time expected the Messiah to come once and immediately redeem the world. When he comes, it's all done. When he comes, Rome will be defeated and the evildoers judged. When he comes, God's people will be vindicated. When he comes, the world itself will be renewed. And when you saw Jesus come, you saw fruits of some of these things, 
The blind are seeing. The lame are walking. The dead are raised. It's the new creation. And yet so much stayed the same. They had missed everything in the Law and the Prophets about the Messiah's substitutionary death for sins. They had missed that. They would miss the one thing that, that we need to allow there to be anything such as God's people. He's got to save us from our sins. So Jesus was often talking about the nature of his coming and trying to change their expectations. When he comes first, it'll be different than you think. And a lot of what you're expecting will come when he comes again. When he comes first, it'll be more humble than you thought. And then there'll be other things that happen that you thought would happen immediately. It's going to be different than you think. I want to give you two. I think we have to. Jesus told two parables about kind of the surprising nature of his coming. One was way back in Luke 19. So I'm just going to give you the intro verse, and, and hopefully you remember some of these things. Luke 19, Jesus told a parable about his coming. Luke 19, 11, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed, what did they suppose? The kingdom was to appear immediately. Let me change your expectations. Okay? And you remember, the, you remember the, the parable. So Jesus is like a master, and he gives minas or resources to his people, and then he goes away on a long journey. Remember the parable? He goes away on a long journey. Then he comes back later, answer up. And so there he rewards his people for how they lived, and he judges his enemies. So what do you think that parable refers to? Reading the Bible, 2020 hindsight, that's his first and his second coming, right? It's his second coming. And so we should expect a delay and a time where we need to be faithful as we wait for him to come back. There's another parable where Jesus expresses something somewhat similar, a little different, very important to him. He's talking about it often. It has to do with the stones. Look back at 20, verse 9. Luke chapter 20, verse 9. He began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, lent it out to tenants, and went into another country for a long while. That parable was about God the Father stewarding the vineyard of his people to the leaders of Israel. And if you remember that parable, he sends prophets to them. And what did they do with the prophets? Killed them, rejected them. And then he says, well, I'll send my son. What do they do with the son in this parable? They kill him. You mean when the Messiah comes, he'll be killed by the leaders of his own people? Yeah. Yeah. And look at the result of this, Luke 20, verses 15 to 16. They, that's religious leaders, threw him, that's the son of God, out of the vineyard, that's the people of God, and killed him. Luke 20, 15. What will then the owner of the vineyard do to them? Verse 16. What's he going to do? Come and destroy those tenants. And now what? Give the vineyard to others. Hmm. Do you see Jesus talking about his coming and how it works and how it's different than they expected? And we have two main themes, don't we? One is somehow he's going to come in judgment on Jerusalem and the temple. Have we not seen that repeatedly from the parable, from the conversation about the stones? Yes, we have. Second, he's going to come in final judgment. He's going to come to judge the world, redeem his people, and renew all of creation. 
everything promised that the Messiah would do. But these two senses of delay, he comes humbly, he's crucified, and then there's judgment on Jerusalem and Israel. And then he's, he's away for a while, and, and his people wait, and then he comes in final judgment. Those are very specifically on Jesus' mind as we get to this chapter. And so they're similar in the sense that they both bring the end to something very important and also a new beginning. And they are surprising. So one reason this passage is difficult is because it's not always easy to know, are you talking about when Jerusalem is destroyed or are you talking about the second coming? Which one is it? But we know he's talking about both, right? He set us up for this. The main point is, as Jesus comes in judgment on Jerusalem and when he comes to judge the world, what are those appearances known by? Tumultuous times. Right before Jesus comes to judge the temple, guess what that's going to be like? Tumultuous times. And after that, guess what that's going to be like? Tumultuous times. And before Jesus comes again in his second coming, guess what that's going to be like? Tumultuous times. Church, what should you expect even here in Southern California, 2019? Tumultuous times. Tumultuous times. It's amazing. First thing, adjust your expectations. You've been raised in America, which is a wonderful place to live, and you've been told that you can do anything you put your mind to. Tumultuous times don't let you do things like that. You also sense the tumultuous times and you feel the chaos and it seems meaningless and you want to give up and you want to quit and you think, why is this like this? And Jesus is telling you, they are about the imminence of my return. I'm coming back. So they are drenched with meaning. Drenched with meaning. You live in these tumultuous times. Expect that. Buckle up. It's your time. It's our time. It's amazing. That's what, that, that first point, you know, the background of what he's talking about. We should expect tumultuous times, and they're about his return. That's the meaning of tumultuous times. So just apply this to your heart already. Guess what you're going to experience? Either you have been experiencing it, or wait five minutes, or wait a week. What are you going to encounter? Tumultuous times. And what is your heart? Just measure yourself. What do you tend to do when it smacks you in the face like a wave of cold water? Come on, be honest. Be anxious, be afraid, run away, complain, despair. What is he telling you to hear and to remember when you encounter them? I'm coming back. I'm coming back. All right, how do we respond to tumultuous times? Here we go. Five points left, huh? Okay. Verse 7, they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said to them, first thing he wants you to do, what? See that you are not led astray. What's the first thing you need to worry about in the midst of tumultuous times? Your heart letting go of the anchor of Christ according to his word and hoping in something else. And who is it that's told to see that you are not led astray? 
Are you looking at yourself? Are you looking at what you love, what you trust in? Are we looking at one another? See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. The time is at hand. Do not go after them. Many fakes will come in Jesus' name, right? Doesn't the New Testament just echo with this? Hey, watch out for dressed up lies. Watch out for dressed up lies. They get dressed up in, in Christian terms. You know what you believe? Watch out for lies. They're dressed up with seemingly pleasant, noble ideas. Watch out, they're lies. They're not according to what Jesus and his apostles actually taught. And historically speaking, we could look up interesting examples of people who claim to be Jesus and people follow them. For me and you, I don't know how tempting that is um, today. If somebody walked in and was like, hi, I'm Jesus Return. <laughs> no, you're not, you know, right? I mean, you need help. We'll pray for you, but yeah. It's not tempting to me. I don't think you feel that way either. The problem of today's world is the edited Jesus. Yeah, Jesus of the Bible, but now you need our book. Now you need our take. Major religions do this, right? Doesn't Islam believe in Jesus in the New Testament, at least officially? They do. But to really know what he's like, don't read the New Testament. What? Read our book. Doesn't Mormonism do the same thing? Yeah, the New Testament, Jesus, but that's not, read our book, okay? And then I don't, know what to, I don't know what to call this next movement, but it's very powerful. This religious progressive Christianity where the word is no longer true, sins are no longer evil, God is no longer holy, justice and wrath are no longer a part of his character, and where the moral authority is the hip culture of the land, and we're always trying to keep up. And the message is basically, yeah, Jesus said the Bible, but our book. It was sobering to, for me to hear of two famous, notable Christians whose ministries I have appreciated publicly reject the faith for what I would call today's religious progressivism. They're not atheists, but can we really believe in a cross anymore? Can we really believe in holiness anymore? Can we really believe in God's word anymore? Can we really believe that anymore? See that you are not led astray. I mean, some, some of these names, I'm like, oh my gosh. That can happen to him? See that you are not led astray. Don't go after them. There's an anchor to this passage. It's verse 33. We're going to read it several times. Verse 33, hey, humor me, read it with me. We can have this one thing memorized before we leave. Verse 33, you ready? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Jesus has called himself here the cornerstone of history. The temple and its, magic, and its massive stones, what's going to happen? It will pass away. The world it will pass away. What will not pass away? His words. His words. He's more than a good teacher, yeah. His words will not pass away. And he's the only one you can trust in tumultuous times. Do not be led astray because you cling to his words, and by extension, the words of his apostles. Don't be led astray. That's the first way to respond. Watch your heart. Don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Cling to his word. 
Second way to respond. Oh, Jesus, the way you talk blows us, blows us up. Look at verse 9. When you hear of wars and tumults, what does he say? Don't be terrified. So here on the list you've got, there's going to be earthquakes, famines, pestilences, terrors, wars and tumults, nation against nation. What can those things take away from you? Everything. Your health? Yeah. Your job? Uh Uh-huh. Your family? Yes. Your house? Uh Uh-huh. Your future for a happy life? Yes. Your sense of security? Your 401k? Yeah. What can it take away from you, humanly speaking, in this world? Everything. And what did Jesus say about them? They will be here. And then what does he tell, how does he tell you to respond? Don't be afraid. <laughs> Is there like a pill I can take? <laughs> Don't be afraid. These things are terrifying. Who's not afraid of that? Are you afraid of going to Costco and there's no food? That happens for people. You have career dreams? Are you afraid of a day where there's just no jobs? Nothing. That happens. You're not satisfied with your house? Try a war on. And there's no house. It happens all throughout history. Don't be afraid. I'm terrified. (laughs) How do you do this? It's all in his language. Look at that phrase in the middle of verse 9. When you hear of wars and tumults, don't be terrified. For these things, what's it say? Must first take place. What's the word must mean? It has to, and why does it have to? Who says? Who knows? God is in control. That's what it means. God is in control of all of it. He's sovereign over all of it. He's sovereign over us. They must take place. And what's the next word? First. Before what? Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. So what are these things you lock your heart onto? Number one, who's in control? Even in the midst of the tumults. God is in control. Number two, what's coming? What's coming? Jesus is coming back. How do you live through those things without letting fear own you? We're going to feel afraid, but how do you live through them without it owning you? God is in control. Jesus is coming back. And how do you know that? Our memory verse for today, verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what? My word will not pass away. You don't have to be afraid because God is in control. Hey, look at look real quick. I'm not going to spend any time with it. Just want to share it with you. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. What a psalm. Just give you a few verses. Psalm 46 verse 1 and 2. 1 and 2. We read 1 and 2 with me. Here we go. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Who's our refuge? America. (laughs) Freedom. Savings. Youth. Talent. Watch out. 
Who's your refuge? Who's the refuge of your heart? God is our refuge. Therefore, we will not fear. Verse 6 and 7. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is what? He's with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 10. Be still. In the midst of the tumults, you be still and know I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. He's working his plan of judgment and grace through the tumults. He's sovereign. He's with you. And Jesus is coming back. As you face tumultuous times, remember Jesus is coming back. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Watch your mind. Watch your heart. Watch the teaching you believe in. Don't be deceived. Cling to his word. Three, as you face tumultuous times, don't be afraid because you cling to his word. And now here is the third way to respond. Don't quit. Look at verses 12 to 19. But before this, all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. What is going to happen to the apostles? What can they expect, Jesus says? Persecution. How about some tumultuous times? Persecution. There's two things in, the, in verses 12 to 19 that God's people can expect. One is persecution. Persecution from the government when you claim that Jesus is Lord. Persecution from your family when you live and believe that Jesus is Lord. You can expect it. Did it happen to the apostles, that first generation? Good grief, right? Good grief. All of them suffered persecution. The second generation of Christians, so much persecution. Does it happen today? Persecution? There's a report out of Great Britain recently. Christian persecution is reaching epic proportions in the global south and deserves attention. You know, there's this kind of belief that Christianity is like white, uh, white wealth. But this, this is not true in the state of the world, Christianity is global south. It's, it's a, ethnically, it's brown Christianity. And so much of these Christians who are being persecuted, it's not like the religious right of North America. It's Christians around the globe. And it's in stunning and horrible and epic proportions how they are mistreated, slaughtered as for, the name, for the name of Jesus. I got an email from my friends in India. There's a law planned to make conversions illegal. Do you know what that does to the local church? How hard that is. So hard. Is it going to stop the gospel? No. Are they going to be persecuted? Yeah. Christians can expect persecution. Now, we're sitting in our bubble baths drinking red wine, right? And looking at our iPad about global persecution. You know what I mean. We just really haven't tasted it like so many people around the world, okay? And Jesus, it's clear in this passage, it's worse in, it's worse in some places than it is in others, and it's always that way. Always worse in some places than it is in others, and it's always moving. Read the letters to the churches in, in Revelation. Some of them are doing fine. They're rich. They're, they're great. The, the structures are not against them. Other churches, they're getting downtrodden. It's, it, it's, it's not the same everywhere all the time. But you can expect persecution. I guess my question for us is, are we willing to face persecution if it came? 
Is it part of your expectation that in some way it'll probably come around somehow? Are you willing to be aligned with Jesus and his words? Or are we ashamed of Jesus and his word in those areas that our modern culture mocks? Would you cling to a biblical, Jesus-centered view of sexuality, I wonder? Heaven and earth will pass away, but what will not pass away? His words. Let persecution never come on us because we're quarrelsome, obnoxious, or self-righteous. Amen? Sometimes when Christians are mistreated, it's because they were jerks. Let that not be us. But may we never avoid persecution because we're being cowards. Or because we're just going to let go unfashionable parts of God's word. Expect persecution. That's the first thing to expect in this point. The second thing you can expect is God's supernatural care in the midst of persecution. Yeah, I love how he says to the apostles, hey, settle it in your mind when you're in prison and you're about to go see the governor tomorrow. You don't need to worry about your sermon notes that night. I got you. Now, it would be a bad application for me to be like, hey, I'm done studying. The Holy Spirit will give me what I need. No, no, no. But in those moments of persecution, you see, God uses persecution as a stage. The letter of Philippians is about this. Persecution becomes a stage. Everyone looks at you. And what's happening to you for the name of Jesus, they hand you the mic. And God himself says, when you're in that moment, I got you. I'll speak through you. You can expect my supernatural care. Not only that, did you see, I mean, we, we looked at this, my family looked at this last night, and we were kind of giggling at how Jesus says, they're going to kill some of you and lay violent hands on you, but not a hair of your head will be harmed. So one of us made a joke, maybe that means the only reason we die is like impaling through the chest, and the head is left fine. Now, that's ridiculous, obviously, right? Does this have anything to do with hair follicles? What's it mean? Even if they hurt you, they can't get you. They can't get you. Jesus is saying, I'm never going to send you any place I haven't been myself, and I won't go there with you. I'll be with you. And even if it goes to death, they can't even touch you. I'll be right there to hold your hand on the way through. It takes a lot of faith to believe that, but if you can smell it, if you can believe it, how does it smell to you? Oh, this smells good. The presence of Jesus with you, giving supernatural care to you in the midst of persecution. So what is this way to respond to tumultuous times? Don't quit. Endure to the end in faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And his word. Why would we do that? Because heaven and earth will pass away. But what? His words will not pass away. So ways to respond. What was it? Don't be deceived. Don't be terrified. Don't quit. Fourth way to respond. Don't be discouraged. Okay, I got work to do here. You ready? Do you need to stretch? Okay, here we go. Don't be discouraged. Two parts here. Look at verses 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, 
then know that its desolation has come near. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are inside the city depart. Let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant, those who are nursing with infants in those days, for there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against his people. What are verses 20 to 24 obviously about? Judgment on Jerusalem and the temple. That's what they are obviously about. When he says the days of vengeance where everything will be fulfilled, this is probably, you know, if you remember, if you read through the book of Deuteronomy and God's covenant with the people of Israel, there's a section on blessings and curses. And this, this, this is the section of the curses. Remember, Jesus says this is to fulfill all that is written. This is the section of the curses coming on an apostate, unbelieving, rebellious Israel for denying their God. Poured out right here. Poured out. D.A. Carson says, Never so high had a percentage of the great city's population so thoroughly and painfully been exterminated and enslaved as during the fall of Jerusalem. You guys, this happened in detail in AD 70. In detail, and Rome just ransacked Jerusalem. Ancient historians tell us, you know, the thing about the stones not being together. There was fire. The gold melted. It went in between the stones. And what did the soldiers do? Got to find me some gold. Private stones. So literally the stones were separated. There's justice coming. Did you see? It's days of vengeance. Whose vengeance? God's vengeance. Does God get revenge? Yes, he's holy. He's the judge of the earth. His ways are right. He hates evil and he destroys it. Should you get vengeance? No, because God gets vengeance. You leave that to him. But he gets vengeance here. But even though it's a time of justice, it's also a time of grace. Look at this strange phrase Jesus uses. Uh, Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until, until what? The times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What does that mean? Do you remember back in the parable Jesus told about Jerusalem? Uh, It said, they threw the son out of the vineyard and killed him, and what will the owner of the vineyard do? He'll come and destroy those tenants. And, do you remember, give the vineyard to others? You know, if you wanted to go to the temple in AD, what, 29, where do you go? You go to the temple in Jerusalem. If you want to go to the temple now, don't go to the top of a hill in Jerusalem. You'll end up at a mosque, I think. How do you, how do you meet with God now and celebrate the sacrifices and enjoy his presence? How do you do that? Hey, guess what? You're at the temple. True? You are the temple. The temple's been replaced. Ultimately, it's Jesus himself. He's the priest. He's the sacrifice. By his spirit, we enjoy fellowship with the Lord. And as we trust in him, we are grafted into him. And as we meet together, the church during this time, this, this is the temple. Every local church submitted to God's word, proclaiming the name of Jesus, is the temple. It's the time. That's what's happening right now. There's grace. 
It'll be like this until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. We could have a long conversation on what that means. I think it means, personally, you could read Romans 11 about this. I think at the end, right before Jesus comes back, there's a massive revival of ethnic Jews trusting in Jesus Christ. That's what I think. We could talk about that later. But I do want you to see that even though there's times of judgment, which are very difficult, there's times of grace. God is still working in grace. So don't be discouraged. Part two, you see it again. Look at 25 to 28. I think these verses are more about the second coming than about the destruction of Jerusalem. Look at 25 to 28. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Did that happen at the destruction of Jerusalem? I don't think so. So what then is he talking about? The second coming. He's coming back. Verse 28, when these things to begin to take place, look at this pump up from Jesus. What's he say to you? Verse 28, straighten up. How were we walking before? Hey, straighten up, man. Raise your head. What's that mean? Lift your head. Your redemption is drawing near. Oh, can you feel that? Hey, Christian, do you ever walk around with a bent back and a dropped chin? Is your soul just ever walking around like this? Mine is. Tumultuous times beat you up. Don't despair. Don't despair even when the cell phone goes off in your sermon. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Don't despair. Raise your head because even in times of judgment, there's times of grace. Your redemption is drawing near. Did you know your redemption is on schedule? Jesus came and died and rose for you. The Holy Spirit came. If you're his, open your eyes, change your heart. It's right on schedule. He is working in your life right now. It's on schedule. And in the midst of all this tumult, none of it can come anywhere close to stealing your redemption. Lift your head. Lift your head. Breathe the free air. He's, he's fighting your sin right now. He reigns for you right now. He's working your life for good right now, and he's going to come for you. He will certainly come back. Heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but what? My words won't pass away. So this big point, you learn about the judgment of Jerusalem. You learn about the second coming. But the point is, in, in our response, even though it's tumultuous and there's judgment, there's also grace. Don't despair. Don't give up. Lift your heads. Your redemption is coming. Isn't that beautiful? All right, last one. As you face tumultuous times, trust his word. Verse 29, he told him a parable, look at the fig tree, all the trees. As soon as they come out and leave, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, my words will not pass away. 
Anybody have a little intellectual itch as you read this? You're like, I trust your word, okay, I'm not going to be deceived, I'm not going to despair. Heaven, uh, all these things, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. What's your, what's your itch? Well, this generation is that the apostles right there, and all these things, Matt, you've been telling me that there's judgment on Jerusalem and the second coming, and my date's not perfect, but I think it's been about 2,000 years, and this generation did pass away, and Jesus hasn't come back. So what do we do with this? And it's important because he does say, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. You can trust me. So, okay. Uh, let's pray. Thanks for coming. Uh, I know I'm going long today, guys. I'm sorry. But let's work through this just for a few minutes. Uh, this has been a, Chris, a Christian wrestling match for hundreds of years, okay? So a couple options. Option number one, it's, it's, uh, it's famous with the more progressive types, and it goes like this. Jesus made a mistake. Or Luke made a mistake, okay? Uh, that's very popular. Hey, they thought he was coming back. He didn't. Sorry. Here, here's the thing. There's a lot of things we could say to that. I'll just say one. The second generation of Christians stayed strong, and the church grew, in the midst of persecution. If they had taken this verse to mean, hey, Jesus is going to come back when the apostles are still here, why would they suffer in believing his word? The entire anchor of your faithfulness through tumultuous times is that you can what? Believe his word. Is Luke so dense that he can't see any of this? I don't think, is, is it the idea in the rest of the New Testament? We know for sure Jesus is coming back before any of us die. Do you, do you see that anywhere? I don't think so. So that's obviously, for Christians, that's not a good option for us. Let's dig in further. Option two. There's a, there's a belief system called preterism that says this entire chapter is only about 70 A.D. Now that cleans up any problems, doesn't it? This generation won't pass away until all these things take place. It was only 70 A.D. Okay, it worked. The problem is it's really hard to believe that everybody saw the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory and bringing redemption when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. It seems too big for that, so I'm not convinced. Option three, we could spend so much time here, and I'm not going to. Option three is the idea that this idea, this generation, is meant to be more symbolic, and it means a kind of people or a group of people. Not literally to this moment. There's a lot of people who believe this in various ways. Some people think it's the generation right before the rapture. If you believe in that, it's them he's talking about. Other people think it's the disbelieving generation of the Jews in Israel. Okay. I'm not convinced. Let me give you what I think is the simplest explanation. Hey, back in six, what was the question everybody was asking? Jesus said, the stones are coming down. What's the question everybody asked, his disciples? When? What are they asking about? When's the temple going to be destroyed? Do you think Jesus was going to answer their question? Yeah. He is. He answers it right here in 32. 
or, or sorry, 29 to 32. What does he say? You look at the fig tree and all the trees, as soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourself that summer is already near. Hey, does summer happen like a, oh, wasn't summer, now it is, I guess for us with iPhones. <laughs> but in an agricultural society, when is it like summer, you know? Doesn't it kind of come in on you? When is the temple going to be torn down? He says, like a tree in leaf bearing fruit. When's the temple going to be torn down? Do you remember? When you see what? Jerusalem surrounded by armies. When's the temple going to come down? When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. What should they do? If you're out on a hike, don't come home. If you're in here, get out quick. Go away. It's going to be destroyed. By the way, is that what happened? That's exactly what happened. So I think the simplest take on this statement is this generation, the people Jesus is talking to, he's answering their question. Their question was not ultimately, when is your second coming? Their question was, when is the temple going to be torn down? And Jesus just told them, when it's surrounded by armies. And he told them, none of you will pass away your generation before that takes place. And that's exactly what occurred let me give you one reason why I think this is a valid way to take this. So what I'm saying is Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. He's not talking about the second coming when he makes that statement. Here's one reason why I think that's true. Look at Mark 13, 30. Truly I say to you, same conversation, right? Same conversation, just Mark's take. This generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 32, but... Concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. What's he talking about there? I think it's the second coming. Jesus doesn't say, I don't know when the temple is going to be knocked down. He does say, in his limited human nature, I don't know the day I'm going to return. So he's telling them, hey, in your generation, the temple will go down. As far as when I come back soon people ask me sometimes do you think we're in the end times you know what my answer to that is we've been in the end times ever since jesus rose from the dead paul writes that concerning these end times when's he coming back hey if i ever pull pull like hey july 7th 2017 no it already passed 2027 sell all your stuff and follow me to the top of a hill don't be deceived when's he coming back Soon. What can you expect? Tumultuous times. How should you respond? Don't be deceived. Don't quit. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Trust his word because it's trustworthy. What does his word say to you in closing? in closing? What does he say to you right now? If you've repented of your sin and you trust Jesus, what does his word say to you? His word says, my life was for your life. You're righteous in me. His word says to you, my cross was for your sins. You're forgiven in me. His word says to you, my resurrection is your vindication. You're adopted as a child of God through faith in me. His word says to you, I reign right now at the right hand of the Father for your sake, for your good. His word says to you, I will surely return. Lift your heads. Trust his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time to have a big study on a big piece of scripture. 
Thank you for these people's patience with me in listening through it. But we pray, Lord, as we hear your word in this great just depth, Lord, that we would be inspired to respond, as you have said, to know that tumultuous times remind us you're coming back and we can trust your word. Enable that in us day to day, in our hearts and our minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.